Well, good morning, citizens. It's a joy to be here and to worship with you guys. As I'm looking around the room, I think I see some familiar faces from my old KCM days and also from Seattle. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, Pastor Jason is someone that I, I deeply admire and look up to. Uh, he has a brilliant mind and also a kind heart, which is a very uh, rare combination to find in a pastor. And so for him to allow me uh, to be here to share God's word is, is an amazing privilege. And I'm thankful to, to be here. And I'm also rooting for you guys as a church. Uh, excited to see what God's going to do as you guys uh, continue in your gospel ministry and hopefully to impact the city that you guys are in. As mentioned, uh, I've been living in, uh, in L.A. for now combined 12 years. I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest, and one thing that I'm still uh, ashamed to admit is I, I still can't get around in L.A. It's actually really difficult for me because uh, in Seattle, uh, we have two major freeways, the I-5 and then the I-405. And then when we come down to L.A., you drop the I, and then you have... 12 to like two dozen freeways, right? And it's, it's crazy. You have the 5, you have the 405, the 10, the 110, the 210, the 134, the 60, the 118, and just it keeps going. And so I found myself just having a really difficult time getting around LA, and I still need to uh, use my phone to get anywhere. Um, and my driving habit has dramatically changed since moving down here. I'm in a hurry for no reason, and I'm always angry for no reason. <laughs> Um, and, and my mentality is I just need to get to my destination as fast as I possibly can uh, with the least amount of traffic. And just traffic, is, it's, there's just no rhyme and reason. It's just any random time, there's just traffic, right? And so get me to, from point A to point B as fast as possible with the least amount of resistance as possible. And this idea, I think, often is reflected in other areas of our lives, right? Health, our academics. Uh, our careers, relationships, right? I want to accomplish my goals in less time with the least amount of hurdles, right? Immediacy, instant results, instant gratification is the name of the game. And some of us, we have this attitude when it comes to our spirituality, our faith journey. I want to see immediate growth, life change. I want my marriage to be better. I want my kids to be more obedient. And oftentimes we're disappointed, because our expectations and what God's plan for us sometimes is misaligned. God's metrics and his focus is often different than my focus right, and my metrics. Right, we draw out our own itineraries, our plan for our lives, and God has a different one for us. And one of the places that we see this very clearly in the Bible is in the book of Exodus. Right, God hears the cries of his people who have been enslaved for 400 years, and he decides to rescue them and redeem them. And after a one-way battle with Pharaoh, he finally lets Israel go. Now they are exiting out and going into the land that God had promised them. But God is going to do something very peculiar and interesting uh, for his people. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your apps, I'm going to be reading Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 18. Let's give our full attention as I read this passage for us. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. 
and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. This is God's word. Phase one of God's plan was to get Israel released. Phase two of God's plan was to get them to the land that he had promised them. Israel now is on the edge of the wilderness to start their journey. The quickest route from where they were to the promised land would have taken 13 days. Uh, but instead, it took them 40 years to get there. Right? Instead of avoiding all the roadblocks and obstacles uh, that would have taken them longer, God deliberately chose the more difficult path for them. Now, I want us to pause and think about that for, for a second. Because there's a dis- difficult truth that I want us to grasp from that. And it's this. You may be dead center in the will of God, but find yourself in the wilderness. You may be faithfully going to church, faithfully reading your Bible, doing all the things that a good Christian should do, and yet find yourself in a place of pain, suffering, loneliness, and extended periods of waiting and wandering. Now, why is this? Why does God do this in our lives? What we will discover is that there's something more valuable to God than simply getting his people to a destination. The wilderness wanderings reveal what God truly values from his people and from you and me. See, although we want to avoid it, God wants to lead us through it because there are truths we won't learn if we don't. So there are three common elements we find in the wilderness that I want to share with us today. First is obvious, there's pain. Secondly, there's going to be provision. And lastly, we're going to see preparation, pain, provision, and preparation. So first, the wilderness is a place of pain. See, pain and loss reveals our character, not victories, losses. They tell us who we really are. And so fresh off of a victory, uh, the Israelites, their character is going to be quickly tested. The first pain Israel encountered was a lack of water. The second, a lack of food. And third, again, a lack of water. And it's easy to criticize the Israelites, right, when we're reading it for their uh, complaining and constant grumbling. But we have to put ourselves there. Uh, When Israel made their way out from Egypt, there were 600,000 men that were counted. That's just men. You include women and children, that's easily over a million people. You know, my wife, Jane, and I, uh, we have three young kids, eight, six, and three, and another one on the way, God God help us. Um, Recently, we went up to Seattle, right? Any trips, any trips, Jane and I, we have to come up with a game plan. We have to come up with a game plan. How are we going to get them from not complaining on this road trip, even if it's a 30-minute drive somewhere, right? We pack enough snacks, right, three devices, three iPads, chargers, diapers, headphones. It's, it's literally madness. And I feel bad for the people that are in the security checkpoint behind me because I have to take out all of these devices to, to get through right, the, the system. And we do this because we want to avoid uh, just they're complaining. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're bored. And so we go through all of this planning for a two-and-a-half-hour plane ride. Right? It's just madness. After crossing the Red Sea, Israel traveled three days, three days without water. And they finally reached a place called Marah. And the worst part was that there was water there, but it was undrinkable. It was too bitter. 
Exodus chapter 15, verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Fast forward, it's the 15th day of the second month since leaving Egypt. They were hungry for food. Exodus 16, verses 2 to 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into, the, into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Lack of food. And after moving on from that place, God led them to a place called Rephidim where they had no water once again. Exodus 17, verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? One disappointment after another, the people were frustrated. And the entire time, God was the one leading them to these places. Why? Why allow such suffering and pain. Why not take them to an oasis where there's fresh water and plenty of food to eat on their journey to the promised land? Each moment of pain, God was testing Israel's faith. See, Israel experienced a lot with God already. They witnessed the powerful plagues in Egypt, the pillars of fire and cloud that guided them to the Red Sea. They saw the waters actually part they saw all of this. And what did they do when they faced no water? They grumbled and complained against God and against Moses, forgetting all that God had previously done for them. How quickly are yesterday's victories snuffed out by today's pains? Instead of turning to God, they turned against God. And aren't we the same? Don't we suffer from spiritual amnesia? We often see the pain that's only in front of us, forgetting who God is and all that he has done in our lives. See, pain exposes the substance of our faith. Right? The same, same thing as fair-weather friends right, who get exposed when we're struggling. When we, uh, fair-weather uh, fair faith right, is often exposed in our pain. The progression of Israel's complaints intensifies through each obstacle. They even get to the point of reminiscing about their slavery and even wanting to kill Moses at one point. And the question I want us to consider and ask you guys today is what is the substance of your faith? I think many of us, we may be in this wilderness time or this wilderness season. Right? These past couple of years have been extremely difficult with this pandemic disappointments, frustrations, um, constant delays. Every time you think you've made progress, right? The Delta variant, setbacks. It may be that you're, you feel uh, stuck at your job and there's just no uh, hope to advance. It may be heavy depression and anxiety, um, loneliness. It may be a nagging illness uh, that you're going through or a loved one is going through, financial hardships. Maybe a difficult season of marriage, a challenging time with your kids, and we feel stuck. And to be honest, this past year was extremely difficult for me. Uh, Jane and I, we got in our biggest fight uh, after 11 years, and we fought quite a bit. We got into a big, our biggest one over this pandemic. I struggled to be present with my kids as I was 
contemplating a different calling in my life. The wilderness is a very difficult place to be in. And deep down in us, many of us, we struggle. Uh, we have difficulty reconciling our faith with our circumstances. Right? If I just believe enough, shouldn't my life be better than this? But the thing is that what we discover in the wilderness is that there is a divine purpose in that pain. God is doing something. And oftentimes he's trying to get our attention and to test our true foundation, what we're tru truly trying to build our lives upon. You know, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem with Pain, this is what he writes, quote, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I wonder, is God trying to get our attention today? So the first thing that we see is great pain in the wilderness, but we also see amazing provision. You know, people ask me, has fatherhood changed the way that you view the gospel and the Bible? And I say, absolutely. I'm amazed at the enduring patience of God with his people. Because one thing that drives me absolutely nuts is, is complaining, right? In the Korean word, they, they, I can't stand jinging. They jing all the time. Uh, and, and I believe that my kids have nothing to complain about in their life. And that's just my humble opinion. They are living their best life. Um, but one thing my wife and I cannot stand is when they complain about food. And my older two, Deacon and Devin, they're a little bit of, they're, they're kind of foodies. They know how to enjoy good food. And they actually make comments about my cooking uh, that either make me really happy or they bother the heck out of me. They'll say, Dad, I think you put a little too much salt in there. And then they start comparing my food to restaurants' food. How come your burger doesn't taste like In-N-Out? And then they start comparing my food to other parents' food, and that's when they cross the line. I can't. I'm too sensitive. I'm too petty. That's when the line is crossed. I'm like, okay, you're not eating. Go, go to your room. <laughs> right? Zero tolerance, no patience. The Israelites literally were talking about the food that they eat, ate when they were in slavery how they sat around pots of meat. And they're saying this to God, who rescued them from slavery. But what do we see God do each time they complain? God hears, and he provides in abundance. Right? At Marah, at Marah, a log was used to make the water not only drinkable, but sweet. He rained down quail in the evening, and manna, which is described as honey wafers, in the morning. And again at Rephidim, God provided fresh water from a rock. God provided at every point. But in his provisions, he lays out specific instructions. They were only allowed to take one omer, which is two liters worth of manna, per member of the household. And whatever was left over from that gathering, they're to discard. And people ignored these instructions keeping it overnight, hoarding it for themselves. And what happened? It bred worms, and it, it smelled really bad. The only time that they were able to keep it overnight was on the sixth day. Because on the seventh day, it was a holy day. It was Sabbath. So they weren't to work. They weren't to collect. But what does Israel do again? Moses goes out on the seventh day. He sees his people looking, looking for food to collect. Now, why such restrictions and stipulations? 
Why not just go, just go at it? Why, why, why does God give them these specific instructions? See, what God wanted from Israel was their trust. Daily. A daily trust. He wanted to show them that he was with them. See, the greatest provision we find in the wilderness was his presence. But Israel failed to see it. Exodus chapter 16, verses 9 to 12. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. In the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God invited his people that were complaining to him. This is so opposite of my parenting. When they complain, I say, get away from me. Get away. God invites his grumbling, complaining, stiff-necked people to him. Man, this is the love of God. The invitation was to draw near to him. What amazing mercy and grace. God shows up in glory to a rebellious people who weren't even looking for him. See, his provision of water and food were to, were to demonstrate that he is Lord, that he is provider, redeemer, and healer. He is the source of their every need. See, Israel, Israel witnessed God's redeeming power in Egypt, but now in the wilderness they'll witness his ongoing care and provision. He is not only Savior, but He is also their sustainer. See, God's care is holistic for us. Not just freeing them, but feeding them. Not just redeeming them, but rebuilding them to be His people. See, for many of us, it's easier to trust in God for our eternal destiny than to trust Him for our daily lives. Isn't that true? So, God, you take care of my salvation. I'll give you that. I'll take care of everything else. See, many of us, we have Jesus as our Savior, but few of us ever experience him as Lord over our lives. And see, like the Israelites, we function as practical atheists, we're, where we confess that God exists, but live as if he doesn't. What are you having difficulty trusting in God today? What do you think is better in your hands than in God's hands? And see, the reason why many of us, we grow stagnant in our faith is because we haven't actually trusted in him with anything real. See, faith grows at the intersection of my obedience and God's faithfulness. Faith grows at the intersection of my obedience to God and God's faithfulness to us. You know, when my kids were smaller, uh, they would jump off anything as long as I was there. Not anymore. I have a bad back. They're too big. I can't do it. Uh, but it never started off that way. My kids are a little bit more cautious, a little bit more weary. So even on their playground, what they would do is they, would, they, would, they wouldn't jump off. They would kind of like just, just fall off. They would get as low as possible uh, to, to just, just in case I didn't catch them. And then they would just kind of spill off the playground and then I would catch them. But eventually, over time, uh, they would jump. No matter the depth of the pool, no matter the height of the playground, they would jump into my arms. Because they knew that if they jumped, that dad would catch them. 
But it required them to slowly take those steps in order to trust that dad will catch them. What would it look like today for you to trust and obey God in your life? Maybe it means that you go to God in prayer. Maybe it's uh, being generous with others, with your resources. For others, it may mean to forgive or ask for forgiveness. It may mean to patiently wait and faithfully endure when faced with disappointment. See, God desires us to know him as Lord, but that can only happen when we trust and obey him. So pain in the wilderness exposed Israel's faith, and God's provision was was meant to strengthen their faith, but both pain and provision was all for the sake of preparation, and this leads us to our final idea. God's goal for Israel wasn't wasn't simply to get them to, a, to their destination, but rather to grow their devotion. See, oftentimes our focus is result-oriented. When God is interested in relationship with you, there's a difference. See, the wilderness was used to create greater distance from Egypt and to introduce a new life with God. It was a necessary detox. Exodus 15, 25 to 26. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made, made for them a statute and rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ears to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your healer. Here we're getting an introduction of the law and God's commandments. But it's important to note that the law was given after the rescue, not before. God rescued Israel by his sovereign grace, and now out of bondage, he instructs them as freed slaves how to live as redeemed people. See, the wilderness was a test for Israel. Not a test like an exam that you needed to pass, but a test to refine their faith, and their understanding of God. Why? Because there were greater challenges ahead of them, especially when they arrived to the promised land. Canaan was filled with mighty warriors, giants, and they would be a threat to Israel. But it was also filled with worshipers of pagan gods. There were idols there that would compromise their devotion to God. See, if Israel struggles to look to God when there's nothing in the wilderness, why would they even dare look at him when they have everything in the promised land? Think about that. They have nothing in the wilderness, and they're not even looking at God. When they reach the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, why would they even dare look at God at that point? See, without a stronger resolve and a deeper understanding of God's holiness and their identity as his people, they would not become the people of blessing that God has called them to be. See, the wilderness, although it's painful, God will use it, right? God will use the pain to thread and and form a stronger bond between Israel and himself. You know, Tim Keller, uh, now retired pastor but an amazing Christian author, In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, this is what he says. Some suffering is given in order to chastise and correct a person for wrongful patterns of life. Some suffering is given not to correct past wrongs, but to prevent future ones. 
And some sufferings has no purpose other than to lead a person to love God more ardently for himself alone and so discover the ultimate peace and freedom. For the Israelites, pain in the wilderness was for the purpose of preventing future pains, but also to lead them to love God more for who he is and to cling to him tighter. See, we live in a world full of counterfeit joys and empty promises. Pain and disappointment helps us to realize that there is no lasting joy to, to be found in this temporary and fickle world. It will only have us thirsting, thirsting and hungering for more. See, there are some parallels between Israel's journey and ours as a church. The Bible describes a Christian life as being one of wandering in the wilderness, as exiles, as sojourners, temporarily passing, temporarily passing through. We are strangers in a foreign land, waiting to experience the full realities of God's kingdom. And our journey, too, will be full of pain and suffering, and I think many of us, we can relate to that. But there's one significant, significant difference in our journey versus Israel's. We have been given greater provision. See, there's a wealth of foreshadowing of Jesus here in the wilderness. Jesus, as our Redeemer, will drink the bitter waters of Marah for you and me at the cross so that we won't have to thirst anymore. We can drink the sweet waters of salvation. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He, is, he has given us his body for you and me. So whoever eats of him will not hunger anymore. Jesus Christ is the rock who was struck by God so that we can drink from everlasting waters and never be thirsty again. Do you see what's happening here in the wilderness? In Christ, we have a greater Moses who leads us out of a great exodus. Jesus came to redeem us from, and free us from the bondage of sin. He would ransom his life to purchase us for God. On the cross, he would drink the bitter cup of God's wrath. Jesus is the greater Israel who would also experience the wilderness, experience extreme thirst and hunger, and be tempted by Satan himself, but he would overcome. Jesus is the better Moses, a greater mediator who sacrificed himself so that you and I, we can be reconciled to God. You know, for those of us here that have yet to receive this amazing gift of redemption, I would ask you to consider him today. Consider Jesus today. He's inviting you to draw near, to experience his love and his glory. He has purchased your freedom already. It is a matter now of you receiving it. And if that's you, what is required is faith and repentance. Just confess. You can't save yourself. But acknowledge that Jesus Christ can. And if you want to make that commitment, talk to any of the leaders here, and they'll love to follow up with you. But to my Christian brothers and sisters who may be wandering in the wilderness and you're looking for God and you're wondering, why am I in this position? God is testing you. But the comfort we have in the gospel is that that test will never break us. It is meant to refine us. And so I want to close by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And I hope you're encouraged by this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So God's invitation for you and me today is to draw near 
and cry out to him. He is our loving father. He is committed to our joy. And so citizens, as you guys journey together in this broken world, and even through this pandemic, my hope is that you will keep your eyes fixated on that cross. Jesus Christ is the author, and he is the completer of our faith. So let's turn to him now and let's worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for this amazing story of your redeeming work with the people of Israel. God, we confess that living this Christian life and especially trying to navigate our faith in this pandemic, it's, it's challenging. We question your goodness. Uh, we are struggling with mental health issues. We feel lonely, isolated. There's anxiety. Um, Father, I ask for your mercy and your grace. Holy Spirit, help us to remember the good news of Jesus Christ. It is in him and through him that we can have joy, that we can have hope, even in the midst of suffering. God, we know that you are doing something. You are doing something in our lives. You are doing something in this community, in this church. Thank you, Lord, that we have Jesus as our Savior, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, and also the sustainer of our faith. Thank you so much for your love. Help us, Lord, to know you deeper. And through that knowledge, may we truly be transformed into your likeness. We give you all the praise, glory, and honors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.